got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. What's up, big dog? And on today's edition of the show... We are going to talk plenty of, you guessed it, KU football. Wait, what? That's right. Lots of KU football today with game week. Now, uh, I should also mention tomorrow's the first home game for the KU volleyball team. They're going to be taking on a Purdue team who's ranked in the top 25. I'm excited for KU's that. KU's ranked also, also. Yeah, they're having the big Nebraska volleyball game tonight in the football stadium. So that's pertinent too. So, you know, there's another thing that you can get excited for this week. But yeah, we're going to be talking plenty of KU football here today. Henry Greenstein going to join us at 340 from KUSports.com. We're going to also be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports at 440. We got uh, a bunch of KU football player audio to get to today. And we have Nick's favorite segment, the KU Mailbag, coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Best segment ever. Okay. Any show in the history of the world. RC, which like half podcasts and radio shows do it. So... (laughs) But maybe that, to your point, there's a reason. Everybody does it because you love getting because, the listeners No, involved, but ours right? is better. Okay. Ours is better. Uh, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. So what we're going to do today is uh, fairly simple. We're going to pick the full schedule. We're going to give we you go. our official predictions for the KU now, football season. Listen, hate to brag. I don't even really want to bring this up because I'm so humble. But I'm and I'm a very humble guy. I don't even, no, really, so humble, I don't even yeah. really want to bring this up, but I feel like I need to. Hate okay. to brag. But last year, I said six and six. What happened? Six and six. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, I didn't get all the games right, but got the record right. <laughs> okay, and that's but, a lot better than you can say. Yeah, it is. I I had them as a three or four I think you win team. Three and nine. Yeah, I said three and nine. I said four and eight was the second most likely, and and they got beyond my belief. I said six and six, and I was right. Okay, close. Well, let's uh, let's take a look at the schedule. Starting off with Missouri State. Yep. Would you dare go out on a limb? <laughs> Uh, no, I'm going to pick Kansas here. So are we are we going to give score predictions or are we just giving game predictions? Or for Missouri State, should we give a score? Or how do you want to do this? Uh, or are we going to wait until prediction. Friday for Missouri? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about Missouri State on, okay. on Friday. Missouri uh, State. Just game prediction. Kansas. Just win or loss. Kansas, W. Okay. So you're sitting at 1-0. I, surprisingly, yes, I yeah, do have you, them winning. Are, we, are you writing this down? Do we write this down? Uh, here, I'll write this down. Okay. All right. So you okay. have a win. Kansas, W. Win. Okay. So we're both 1-0. Nice. I, we don't need to get further into why they win that game. I don't, I don't feel the need to super explain this. <laughs> they lose okay, this game, sure, fine. other problems. Yes. Okay, week two, you're at home against Illinois on a Friday. Yeah, it's an interesting game. Illinois' defense was very, very good, but they did lose a lot of key pieces from last year. They have a new quarterback, Luke Altmaier, transfer from Ole Miss, who I believe was like a top 200 or top 100 maybe even recruit. Uh, he was just Miss. outside top 100. Just outside the top 100 recruited Ole Miss, so certainly a talented quarterback. Went to Ole Miss, now he transfers to Illinois, named the starting quarterback a couple weeks ago. Uh, so, you know, the talent's certainly there, I think, and it's just a question of what the rest of the offense is going to look like for Illinois. Uh, I, I'm i picking Kansas here. To me, this is going to be a game where I don't expect Illinois' offense to be that effective. 
Uh, so if the Kansas defense can just play a decent game, I think they're going to have a decent shot to hold Illinois down a little bit. And we know how explosive Kansas' offense is. I think if KU's offense scores even like 28 points, they probably have a good chance to win the game. So I'm picking Kansas here. Kansas, W. So this one, I'm actually going to take Illinois. Um, I don't feel great I mean, about it's gonna, it. it the, the point game. spread's going to be probably within three points. Correct. For so either it's, way. It's, it's going to be a close game. Yeah, exactly. Either way. I mean, it's going to be a close game. Yeah. I What scares me in this game is that what do we know about the KU football defense coming into the year? They're really bad. Well, what specifically are you worried about with the defense? It's the run defense, right? Um, yes. Well, I don't know. I mean, just everything, I think. Of course it's everything. But we, how many times did we see the defense on the running defense just not be able to get off the field because you couldn't stop the run? It, it was a decent it, amount. It happened right? a decent amount. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there were some struggles, certainly. And what do we know about Brett Bielema and what he wants to do everywhere that he has been? He likes to run HB dive a lot. <laughs> he does like to run HB dive a, a lot. A little bit of ground and pound. And I would say he's one of the best coaches in the country at running HB dive a lot <laughs> over and over again, right? Uh, you go back to his days at Wisconsin. You go back to his days at Arkansas. You go back to what he's done so far at Illinois. Every year he has been someone who has had a really good rushing attack, Good but offensive they don't line. Have their running good back. running back. The running back. No, the, the running back's gone. But like, I don't, I don't remember the guy. How many times do you think you said that at Wisconsin or Arkansas, and then the next guy ended up being just as good? You know. <laughs> no, I know. I don't. I don't even remember the name of the. What was the name of the guy they had previously at uh, at Illinois? Yeah. Uh, was it Chase Brown? Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, he got drafted pretty highly. I think he right? did. He was he was a good player, very good yeah. player. Uh, for what it's worth, Illinois is ranked 43rd on the ESPN SB Plus. Kansas is 62nd. Like oh, and it's, it's a very differing version of games. Kansas obviously has the elite offense. Illinois has a is number seven in the preseason defensively. Yeah. So my worry would be early in the season, you get held to a lower total. You can't get off the field on enough plays because of stopping the run. So I, I could see Kansas winning this, but I am going to actually pick Illinois in this one at one and one. Okay. Okay, uh, right, so week I'm, three. I'm 2-0, you're 1-1. One one. Yes, week three is at Nevada. So, Nevada was one of the worst FBS teams last year. They were really, really bad. And I don't expect them to be that much better, to be honest. I think they're still probably going to be not a great team. Now, actually, if you remember right, we had the guy, oh gosh, I can't remember his name, the guy from Nevada Sports yeah, came on yeah. early in the summer, and he, he seemed to like, he felt like Nevada had a chance to maybe make a bowl or be a little bit of a more of improved team this year. So this is a game that Kansas definitely can't sleepwalk into. Obviously, Kansas had a 40-plus game road losing streak for a reason. They were bad on the road. So it's I'm not I don't think this is going to be a game where Kansas can just show up and win. Like they're going to have to play well on the road. Uh, and plus, it's kind of a funky game. 9:30 p.m. Central start. So you know, kind of a later game, which I, I know that doesn't affect them because they'll be on they'll be actually there. But uh, I Kansas is going to win though. I'm, I, I'm Kansas. W. Maybe this is uh, I've watched too much like Hawaii football like at like midnight on a Saturday night. I'm just envisioning this game being late at night and being like wacky and wild like KU wins like 55 to 31 and it's just super high scoring like uh, nobody can really stop the other. But yeah, I'm, t I'm taking Kansas to win at Nevada too. All right. See, they're 3-0 for you through the non-con. They are 2-1 uh, for me through the non-con uh, into the fourth week of the season. It is the conference home opener in the big 12 opener for BYU. They're yep. coming to Lawrence. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, so first game for BYU in the Big 12, uh, which would lead you to believe they're going to be pretty jacked for it. Yes. Uh, I would assume they're going to be pretty up for it uh, coming to play Kansas. And this is a BYU team that 
I feel like over the course of the offseason, the projections for them have steadily gotten worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't feel like early in the offseason people were talking about them being bad, but now it seems like they're people are saying this t- team might be more of like a four-win team or not quite as good of a team. So, to me, if you're Kansas and you think you're a 7 or 8 win team, this needs to be one of those wins. I think I think Kansas will take care of business. I think they'll come back with something to prove to open conference play, you know, to prove that their conference schedule wasn't just a fluke start again. Kansas W. I'm going to take Kansas here too. I do have similar worries to the Illinois game that BYU wants to be a tough physical team that runs the football on you and plays physical football. But Yeah, that is how they like to play. The difference here for me is that BYU's defense is not very good. It was very bad last year. I think it'll be better this year, but I still don't think it's going to be a great defense. I think Kansas is going to be able to keep up with them and, and just kind of outscore. The way I, I kind of view this game similar to the uh, the BYU game is like the Duke game last year. If you remember Duke, they were a tough physical football team. Yeah. They kept yeah. it close. You just had a little more playmakers. You had a little more Jalen Daniels than them, and you found a way to win the game in, in kind of a closer game. That's how I view this one. So I'm taking Kansas to uh, go over BYU. All right, so you have them at 4-0. I've been 3-1. Yep. Week 5 is at Texas. If they're 4-0, that could be college game day if Texas No, is. I don't think it'll be college game day because the Red Texas River rivalry— like Alabama. Well, and the Red River, River, the Red River rivalry is the next week, so I don't uh, think— so they're going to save their yeah, Texas bullets. exactly. I don't, yeah. I don't think they would go to Texas potentially back-to-back weeks. So I would— I don't expect this to be college game day. Uh, and, yeah, you're right. Texas would have to probably beat Alabama. And and Kansas would have to I, – I think Texas would have to beat Alabama and Kansas would have to have won their first four games, like, pretty in pretty yeah. dominant fashion. Like, if they Kansas would have had starts to blow out, though, like you have, I think they will be ranked. Yes, I agree with that. If I they, can see them yeah. even being ranked if they start 2-0. I think they'll be at least receiving mm, votes. Maybe. I don't, I don't know if I'll go that far. Okay. Okay, so they're 4-0, going to Texas. Now – Texas is a bit of a funny program because since the French and Indian War, you hadn't won there. <laughs> but then you've won, like you've won there, you've won against Texas now, two, you know, a couple times in the last in recent. Yeah, memory. once in Austin, once back home, and you've had a, yeah. countless other games where you nearly won. Twenty nineteen, yes, nearly won on. at Texas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, it's kind of a strange, uh, a strange relationship or dichotomy you got going there. I, I this is the game that I think Kansas is. Is gonna lose. I mean, Texas Texas blew their doors off last year at at Kansas, albeit Jalen Daniels the first game back. He looked a bit rusty, you know. I but I don't I don't foresee Kansas winning this game. Uh, it would be really awesome if they did, but uh, Kansas yeah, it would L. Yeah, this would be one of the best games to win. Last time you're playing Texas, beat them again, sending them off. Uh, I, I'm gonna have them lose here too, but I I do think it's a much closer game. Like. You look at how it went last year in Lawrence, and you're like, oh, man, how are they going to be able to keep up? I think it'll be a much more competitive game. I could see this being a game that Texas wins by 14 points. Kind of, I, I could see this being like the like they game win that going played away. in Norman last year. Yeah, like they win going away. Yes. Yeah. Like they win Where maybe you're, by a comfortable you're, enough margin, but you're, you're hanging around. Yeah, you're within a couple scores yeah. for the whole game. Maybe it's even, a, maybe it's even getting down to like a 10-point a game or a one-score game in like the late third, early fourth quarter, but then they win going away. Yes. Okay, so I have them at three and two. You have them at four and one. Next week is yep. back home. They're against Central Florida. All right, so I picked them to beat BYU, obviously, but I think I think Kansas is going to lose one of BYU or UCF. I'm predicting that it's UCF they lose to, but I think it. I, I'm expecting to lose. I'm yeah, you're basically one and one. saying they go one and one. Between one and one yeah. in those two games is what I think will probably happen. So I'm going to go ahead and pick UCF here. UCF has kind of become a team that people think is has the chance to be the best of the new additions to the Big Twelve. They have an experienced, high Power 5 coach with Gus Malzahn. They have a really, really elite quarterback that probably is going to give the Kansas defense the problems. I'm going to go with 
UCF here. I think it still would be a pretty close game. I think KU's offense could probably keep up a little bit, but I'll take uh, the Golden Knights. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Yeah, the, the Knights. Knights. Yes. No, I don't want the mob coming after me. I don't want to get canceled. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> be wary. Be very wary. So the way that you said with UCF-BYU, I actually think that about this game and the next game. Next game's at Oklahoma State. I think one and one between those two. So I'm just going to pick this one to be the win. I can see it being a coin flip game. And I guess you're the home team. And as, as John Rice Plumley's a good quarterback. Jalen Daniels is better. Uh, who knows if he's healthy or not by now. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go with Kansas in the coin flip in that situation. Okay, so we, we both have them at 4-2 uh, four and, two, at, four right? and two at this yeah, point. 4-2. To the halfway mark. Next week is at Oklahoma State. Yeah, this is maybe the linchpin of my picks because I'm really not sure where to go on this one. I'm going to... It's it's such a hard thing with Oklahoma State because yeah, we don't like gonna, the personnel, we don't like the quarterback, but we trust Mike Gundy. Yeah, I'm gonna lean. I'm gonna just I'm gonna go out on a limb and say Kansas wins this game. Okay. Alan Bowman uh, has he was really good in like 2012. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. He gets hurt a lot. He hasn't he thrown like two passes in the last two years for Michigan. So he's like simultaneously this guy you're like who's like oh he's a veteran he should be reliable but also like he doesn't have the last couple of years he hasn't really played at all. So I, I don't know. And also, he has a long injury history as well. Who's to say that by the time, in, at this point in the season, your seventh game, he he's not banged up and not 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Kansas here. Uh, I think they go into Stillwater and get a big win. Kansas, W. Okay. That's Stillwater for the dub. Uh, like I said, I, I could see them winning this game, but I just viewed UCF in Oklahoma State, win one, lose one, whichever order it happens. So I picked the UCF for the win, so I'm just going to take this one for a loss. Uh, if If... The quarterback situation is not settled. I would feel better about KU. I'm just, I'm kind of in wait and see mode, uh, to be honest, on that one. Oklahoma State is I, the biggest I, wild card. I honestly expect Alan Bowman to not be healthy by the time probably KU not. plays. Probably not. Please. No, like I said, this is this is that's the one. Like Oklahoma State is the biggest wild card to me in the Big Twelve. Yes. You could convince me they go nine and three. You could convince me they're four and eight. I don't know. Um, then you have a bye week. Then your next game is at home against Oklahoma. Yeah, this is becoming more and more of a pick where people are saying. Maybe Kansas Which is making gets me feel win worse. Ho- at homecoming. Last time you played Oklahoma at home, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to pick Oklahoma here. I-, I think it'll be a good game. I'm expecting it to be a good game. You-, you know, you were able to score on them a lot last year with Jason Bean on the road. They come home. They come back. You would expect the defense to be better under Brent Benevils, but if you have Jalen Daniels and the Kansas offense at home, I think it's still going to be a close game. I just don't see how the KU defense gets any stops. I mean, they, Dylan Gabriel, I mean, he was playing the game on easy mode uh, <laughs> you know, when they played in Norman. So uh, I just I don't see it happening. I think it, it'll probably be a fun game, uh, and it should be you know a, a good environment and a great crowd, but I'm going to go with uh, Oklahoma here. So Kansas, L. I'm going to go with Kansas here. Okay. I'll be honest. Like you said, the more we've talked to people during this week and we've talked to certain guests and they're picking Kansas beat Oklahoma, the more this becomes a uniform pick, the worse I feel about it because oh, like, yeah. this should not be a uniform pick. This should be a a shocking type pick. So that kind of wanes me off of it. But also, if I went into the week going with picking this, that's kind of a lame reason to be like, I'm not picking it because somebody else is picking it. You know oh, what I mean? Oh, so I, I'm just going to stick with my guns here. You're off a of bye week. Um, I think that'll help them defensively get prepped a little bit in this game for the high tempo. Um, I think this would be like the crowning jewel victory to be like Lance Leipold era's here. Yep. You beat Oklahoma on their last league uh, leg in the conference. So at home, coming at home, yeah, would be certainly a, a would big be monumental. One. Yes, monumental. All right, we both have them at five and three, headed into week nine at Iowa State. 
Yeah, Iowa State's program is in shambles, uh, as most people know at this point. They don't have their starting quarterback. They don't have their starting running back. Uh, I think they're missing some other guys, too, and it's just a, a disaster. Who knows how many of those guys have been betting on the under in their games because their offense <laughs> sucks. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be even worse. They've got some redshirt freshman guy who's got a funny name. It, Rocco, I think. Is it Rocco? Rocco? Is that what it is? I'm pretty sure that's, that's his first name. Okay. Uh, it's supposed to be their starting quarterback. He's a, red, a freshman, I think. Does it scare you at right? all, though, that Brock Purdy, oh, Rocco Becht? Yes, that guy. Rocco Becht. Yes. Um, believe, I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be their starter. Without, might be. Without Hunter Does it scare you at all, though, that Iowa State did have success with a freshman quarterback by the name of Brock Purdy? Is uh, that just a special circumstance? No, it does okay. not scare me at all. Uh, but again, I I already picked a win at Oklahoma State, which kind of goes against what kind of goes against what my theme really has been, which is I'm nervous to pick them on the road in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a game where... Ames is going to be a tough environment probably regardless, but I think Iowa State's going to stink. <laughs> Give me a Kansas, W, okay. bull eligibility, 6-3. and three. Yeah, so I'll be honest. I wasn't going to pick Kansas in this game until all that betting stuff happened. And, and yeah, that freshman QB for Iowa State, maybe he ends up being good. Maybe the backup running back ends up being really good. But that's a lot to lose, especially at this point before the season. That's distractions. That's headlines you have to deal with. Uh, it's a lot to have to overcome. And, you know, the freshman QBs didn't get the spring ball as the number one necessarily. So I'm going to take Kansas in this one, too. We both have them at 6-3. and three. The uh, the next game in the schedule is home against Texas Tech. Yeah, so I'm just going to cheat a little bit here. Uh, I mentioned with the UCF-BYU thing, I thought they were going to go one and one there. I'm kind of feeling the same vibes here from Texas Tech and Kansas State, okay. which is their next two games. I think they have a decent chance to go one and one in these two games. I just I'm not really sure. I'm going to I'm going to take the W with Texas Tech at home. I'll go with that with with the win. So that'll put them at 7 and 3 and then we'll go from there. But uh, so give me the win against Texas Tech. Tyler Shuck, same deal as Alan Bowman. He's going to be hurt by then. I'm not worried. Uh you know, whatever. I think Kansas W. So I'm going to I'm going to do the same thing you're saying with the Texas Tech but Cincinnati game at the end of the year. I'm going to say they go 1 and 1 in those two. Okay. I don't know which one. I'm leaning right now, I guess, Cincinnati because I just think Tech is better even though the Cincinnati one's on the road and on their senior day, whereas Tech is at home. Um, so, again, I, I don't know which order I want to do it. I'll just say they lose to Tech for the sake of this, and then we'll add the win when we get to Cincinnati at the end. Uh, next up in the schedule, though, that would put them, for me, at 6-4, and four, you at 7-3 and three, headed into the Kansas State game. As I said, I thought they were going to 1-1 one one with Kansas State and Texas Tech. I picked Texas Tech. I picked Kansas to win against Texas Tech. I, I got to... You're regretting I think KU, your decision now. No, 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 okay. no. I think KU definitely can win that game. Yeah, I agree. But when you haven't done it in so long, it's just it's tough to pick it, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to I'm going to say Kansas State wins. Obviously, I don't want it to happen. I hope it doesn't happen. But it's happened for the last 15. It's, it's tough to pick against a streak. It is. So I'm going to pick so Kansas I'm, State too. I'm going to go with Kansas State there. That'll right. put them at 7 and 4. Yeah. And that'll put them at 6 and 5 for me finishing up at Cincinnati. This is the by far the toughest game to pick because Cincinnati has a new head coach and a lot of other new areas of their program as well. Uh, nobody really seems to have a good gauge on them. They were picked last in the Big 12. so 126th in returning production. Yeah, so they don't have anybody back. They have a new head coach. So it's kind of a mystery at this point as to what they're going to be. Uh, I still think they probably will be at best like four or five Four to six team. wins. Yeah. yeah, somewhere around there. So I think I'm going to go with Kansas here on the road, wrap up the season with a W. That'll put them, for me, at what? What, 8-4? and four? 
Yep, that puts them at eight and four for you. Eight and four, baby. Let's roll. All right, there you go. So I, uh, I'm taking them to win Cincinnati because, like I said, I'm, I'm splitting the tech games. So that puts me at seven and five. That puts both of us in the over category yes. for the win loss over. That yep. puts both of us in the category of improvement. You know, one thing though, as we're going through this schedule, and I'll, I'll be honest, even picking seven and five, I feel a little pessimistic. Like, yeah, I don't feel great about eight and four because no. they could lose to Texas Tech, they could lose to Oklahoma State, and instantly they go from eight and four to well, that's six thing. and six. All of those games we just picked. You could convince me the opposite on every game, except yeah, for much. Missouri except State. For- if that happens, it's <laughs> maybe Nevada too. Like yeah. if that happens, it's you mess something up. Every game, you could convince me that Kansas could win. You could convince me Kansas could even win in Texas, in yeah. Austin. You could convince me they beat K State or Texas Tech, whoever. You could also convince me they lose a lot of those. But yeah. that's a cool place to be in, especially from where we have been with the KU football program. Yeah. How many years yeah. have we gone in and been like, well, that they're not. Not going to compete in that one, that one, that one, and that one. It's like maybe yeah. you can win one of those two or three. No, it's like literally you're going to go into at least right now in the preseason. You look at all twelve games on your schedule, and you're like, yeah, are we going to win all twelve? No, but should be fun games. And but be every single game. game I look at, and I'm like, they could win that game, which is which is awesome. And I think that's all you're asking for as a fan because that means yeah. any Saturday you go to a game, you walk in to Memorial Stadium, you walk into the booth, and you say, we got a chance to win today. Yeah, and that's awesome. Hundred percent. Yeah, and like I said, I think for me. Eight and four is my prediction, but the linchpin picks for me are Oklahoma State and Texas Tech. I could easily, yeah. very, very easily see Kansas losing both of those, which knocks them down to six and six. Yeah. But I feel I actually feel pretty good about those other six games that I think they're gonna win. I feel pretty good about their non con besides Illinois, but I think they should still win against mm-hmm. Illinois. Like I said, I feel pretty good about them going one and one between BYU and UCF. I feel pretty good about the Iowa State game because of the fact that Iowa State's program is in shambles. I feel pretty good. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you could feel anything, but pretty okay about the Cincinnati game right now, mm. just because they're picked to finish last in the Big Twelve. You don't really know that much else about them, but you feel pretty good about it. So I, I, I think Kansas will certainly get to six wins. That's what I will say. My eight and four pick is I'm picking them against Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, but again, I think they could easily lose that. But I still think a bowl game is definitely in the cards here. Yeah, my range is is five to nine wins, and and like I said, I do have them at seven. Uh, my linchpin games, I, I thought it was a good exercise, though, because I had them losing to Illinois, and I still got them to seven wins. So as much as throughout the offseason we kind of talked that that game could be a huge boost for you know how you do this or that or could determine if you make it to this or that, I think they can still get there even without that game. Now, if you get that game, then I'm on par with you with eight and four. So, uh, yeah, the, the, there is optimism around the program, and, and we're both on the over if you're into that sort of thing. Yep. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Henry Greenstein going to join us in about 15 minutes. We've also got some audio coming up on the other side. This is KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and we're joined now on a Wednesday by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. You can check out all Henry's coverage leading up to the game there, as well as Coverage from after the game when that occurs on Friday night. All right, I've asked this question to you uh, the last couple weeks. I'll ask it again now that it's game week. Uh, I think uh, the worry scale, you put a five on Jalen Daniels two weeks ago. I think it went up to a six last week. We heard again from Lance Leipold this week. What is the uh, the worry scale about Jalen Daniels, his back, his health, everything headed into the season now for you? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a four this time around. Uh, maybe I should be even lower. You know, I had a somewhat different interpretation of Lance's comments on Monday than, than some of my peers did. I didn't think it was quite as an ex- explicit an endorsement of Jalen's chance to start, as, as others reported. You know, because he was asked straight up, is Jalen going to start? 
on Friday, and his answer was, well, we released the depth chart, on the depth chart, of course, on which he's first, and we'll play everyone who's available and he practiced today. You know, that doesn't necessarily rule out the possibility that things could be a day or two when you listen back to that quote. But the fact that he went through a full practice on Monday uh, was what gave me the most confidence. And so I'm not too worried about that anymore. I think Jalen's going to play. You know, how much they need to play him will probably depend on how well they're doing against Missouri State. Not even probably. It definitely will. Um, and I expect the offense to have a very productive day on Friday. And so we might not see a huge amount of Jalen, uh, but feeling a lot better back than I did a week ago at this time. Talking with Henry Greenstein here of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. So I, I don't know, because I, I go back to how he answered those questions. You kind of touched on it there. I thought it was very interesting because I, I guess to a certain point, because he was basically asked about it in different ways two or three times during the press conference, it, it seemed like something that every way he answered it did kind of point to, yeah, it'll be Jalen Daniels. But I guess I just... I. I None of it was like definitive to what you said. Like it wasn't a definitive. Jalen Daniels will start on Friday. Like it wasn't something that I don't know. Confident, I guess. What? Why do you think he would answer it like that? Do you think he's he's trying to leave the possibility open that I don't know? Maybe maybe the injury would flare back up for Jalen. Do you think he's just trying to play mind games with either the media or the other team or something? Like why do you think he has been so non-committal on on talking about Jalen's health right now? Yeah, it, it's hard to speculate on that. I definitely think it was just, I, I just from the brief time speaking to Lance's various abilities, I don't think that he wants to make super categorical statements when it comes to injuries and availability and all that. Um, I think that they wanted a little bit of wiggle room in case it did flare up. I don't think they thought it was going to by any means, but I don't think he wanted to make a 100% clear statement um, for whatever reason. It was a little aggravating for me trying to communicate that to people in the article that I wrote after that press conference, but that's KU's prerogative to uh, disclose as much or as little information as they would like on that front. As I've said in the past, it's an area of sensitivity because Daywin does have a history of not playing full seasons and a history of injury. I don't think we'd see this if it wasn't Daywin himself and if it wasn't the quarterback position. Um, but yeah, it's not really for me to speculate as to why they choose to do that, but Definitely, I agree with you that it was not as straightforward a statement as many would have liked. Well, outside of the QB position, I guess, uh, a lot of oars on the depth chart, some interesting young freshmen on the depth chart. What to you was the most interesting part about the week one depth chart release? Um, I guess two things come to mind right away. One of them was Keaton Kubeka being included on it to begin with. You know, if I had probably wanted to guess a third most likely freshman to appear on the depth chart after Damon Greaves and Calvin Clements. I probably would have gone Logan Brantley, but they went out, they went out of their way to include Keaton uh, because most positions only have a two deep, and he's the third option, I believe, at that X wide receiver spot. So that really speaks highly of uh, how they think of him, but also they really wanted to make a point in how they were presenting the depth chart to us to include him, and by all accounts, it sounds like that's because of special teams value. It sounds like he took advantage of some reps made available to him with Kevin Terry leaving the program, which was just confirmed to us. And um, They're excited about what he can provide. Uh, I don't think it'll be on offense right away, especially with six accomplished people ahead of him. But that was interesting to me. Uh, the other thing that was a little bit of a surprise to me was if you had asked me where I thought there was going to be an or at defensive end, 
I probably would have thought that it would be Hayden Hatcher or Austin Booker at a starting spot. But instead, it's Hayden Hatcher, number one, and then Austin Booker or, I believe, Patrick Joyner at that, at that position, which was a surprise to me. Uh, but, you know, just talking to you guys yesterday uh, at the availability, it sounds like Hatcher just has such a high motor that you cannot keep him off the field and have to put him in at that first option. I think there will be scrutiny on him the first week to see how well he does against the sort of patchwork offensive line that Missouri State has. Yeah, is there is there anyone on the depth chart who you feel like, you know, maybe halfway through the season, maybe a few weeks from now, do you think uh, it, it could be in danger of being different? Yeah, I don't know about in danger. I think it would really be more that someone would impress so well with the reps they get that they would leapfrog them. But I, I think it's defensive line. I've been talking about it all through camp. That's where I'd expect the, the biggest shakeups. Obviously, that's one of the only places where there's an or in a starting spot, um, that being between Tommy Dunn and DJ Withers, both returning players looking to take on a greater role this year. I think we could see some flip-flopping there, maybe even some gauge keys coming in there. Um, and then safety-wise, this was a topic of discussion yesterday as well. Kind of interesting to see O.J. Burroughs or Marvin Grant at a starting spot. To some extent, I think that was just because Grant gets a lot of reps as a third safety and they wanted to reflect a higher up status in that respect. But talking to Brian Borwin, it also sounds like Marvin Grant has sort of redefined his mindset in a way that puts him in real contention for starting reps. So I'll be interested to see if there's any flip-flopping between those guys as the number two and number three safety. Talking with Henry Greenstein from KUSports.com, Lawrence Journal World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, The game on Friday night, anytime you're playing an FCS team, I think it's There's certain things you can and can't take away if, uh, I don't know, some player plays well. Does that mean that uh, they're going to dominate the season? Does it mean they just did it against lesser competition? I don't know. But what do you envision being the biggest thing that we can or can't learn about KU football in the season opener on Friday night against Missouri State? I'm going to be looking for how many yards they limit Jacardier Wright to, the uh, Missouri State running back who's a Kansas State transfer. I think Bowen had a statistic yesterday, like all of their losses came in games where they allowed four runs of 10-plus yards or more. And Wright is a running back with a pedigree you don't often see at, at an eighth-place projected Missouri Valley team. He's a, he spent three years at K-State uh, before joining the Bears. Um, and I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying, the defensive line. This is their chance to prove that they can stop the run better than they did last year by maybe having a somewhat dominant performance. It would certainly be a little bit encouraging uh, when it comes to their chances of stopping some of the more accomplished running backs in the Big 12 at places like Oklahoma and Texas. Obviously, they exist on a different plane, but if you're KU, you really like to see a strong run defense showing against a pretty accomplished running back. Okay, so when you look at the defensive side of the ball, um, is there a player on that unit that you think would be the best sign for them as a whole moving forward? Like if, if X player plays well on the defense, that's a great sign for the rest of their season. Yeah, I think there are a few that fit that description. I'm going to stay away from the secondary because I feel that the secondary is pretty, uh, I don't know, there, there's reason for confidence at all those positions. I think it's got to be another defensive lineman. I'm just going to keep banging this drum. I think I would say uh, Jeremy Robinson comes to mind. Um, he's someone who 
is becoming more of a leader on the team in a lot of ways. We've heard more about him becoming more vocal. We know they need people to offer a pass rush. I'm not sure he's the number one pass rusher guy, but if he's constantly all over Jacob Clark and Jordan to show in this game, maybe we have a little more encouragement in that respect. So I think that's someone you want to see because he is, for all intents and purposes, the number one defensive end. And uh, you'd like to see some encouraging signs from him, even if it is against an FCS Well, uh, across the team, could be special teams offense or back to the defense. Is there a player across that you feel like the buzz has been over the course of camp so far that they could break out this year that you're going to be monitoring heavily on Friday? Yeah, this is an obvious answer, but I'd say Trevor Cardell. Um, you know, John Kirby asked yesterday about kind of the fact that he's listed in an or behind Fairchild with Jared Casey. That seems like a material reflection of a lot of the buzz we've heard about him being much improved. I mean, he's got a great frame for a tight end. He's got the athleticism. He played baseball until very recently for KU, so this has been kind of the first cycle where he's been able to focus on football. We know Kilnicki loves using the tight end. That's his position group. I think they will try to get Cardell involved much more. I think he only had like nine or ten catches last year, and for a player with this much buzz, you'd have to think he gets a few targets in this first game. Uh, and that will be sort of an indication of what we can expect from him going forward and kind of the different spots in which they hope to have him line up, which is one of their big things with the tight end. Well, we, we are headed into the season here. It officially kicks off. Do, do you have a season win-loss prediction for KU this year? Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I'm going to write something up about it for Friday. I think – I've been saying six and six, and I think I'm going to keep saying that. I know that puts me actually among the more pessimistic crowd, and I know it's not a super exciting uh, thing to predict the exact same regular season record that a team had in the preceding season, especially when they return so many of the same players. But I think that it's sort of a thing where overall improvement evens out with a somewhat harder schedule, um, and I think KU goes to a second straight bowl game for the first time since the Mangino era. But I don't think there's going to be a huge improvement in terms of wins and losses. Maybe they win that bowl game. Maybe it's seven and six. Um, and maybe I should say seven and six because that covers two separate scenarios. You know, either they go six and six and win <laughs> or seven and five and lose a bowl game. But uh, yeah, I'm going to say six and six. That's where I'm at right now. That's probably what you'll see me writing in the newspaper over the next 48 hours. Well, there's obviously a, a gap between a successful season and like a failure season. Like, it's not just one win apart. There is a middle ground there of what would just be, oh, that's a, just a fine season. It's just a ho-hum season. What to you would indicate a successful season for KU, and what to you would indicate a season where you would walk away from it saying, yeah, that was kind of a failure of a year? Well, yeah, it's tough to say because the bowl eligibility threshold is such an obvious demarcation point there. But as I observed earlier, the schedule is different. I think it's probably a situation where six or up, you say, is success. Uh, five, I think people would be like, all right, well, that wasn't amazing, but we'll see how it goes turning out. And four or lower, you say, a failure. I think there's a, there's a case to be made that five should be included in the failure category, but that feels like a little bit too strict of a delineation, so I'll go with the categorizations that I said to start out. But, yeah, that's tough. I think the way that hype has become so inflated about this program it's sometimes hard to take a step back and think about how people re will react like three months from now 
Do you have a uh, score prediction for Friday's game? Do you want to? Do you want to go on the record with anything? Oh gosh, a score prediction. Um, let me think. Uh, Missouri State got a pretty decent offense. Lost a lot of talent. I'll say KU. Um, let's say forty-one seventeen. How about that? That sounds good to me. That'll be my score prediction. Don't come after me if it's super <laughs> inaccurate, everyone, because I gave that the exact four seconds of thought that you just heard. There we go. Well, Henry, I appreciate the time, man, as always. Uh, is there anything to be on the lookout for uh, coming up on uh, KUSports.com? Uh, just follow our game coverage. There will be quite a bit between me and our freelancer, Shane Jackson. Uh, keep an eye out for the first week of high school coverage as well, starting uh, tomorrow, I suppose, with Gus at the Free State game. I know you talked to Connor Becker recently. Yeah, lots of exciting stuff. I'm just so glad that games are actually going to be happening. Well, there we go. Henry, appreciate the time as always, man. Have a good rest of your day. Have a good rest of your week, and uh, we'll see you Friday at the KU football game. All right, very excited. Thank you. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Thank you to Henry for uh, coming on the show here ahead of the KU-Missouri State game on Friday night. We got a KU mailbag to get to on the other side. We got some KU player audio, Jason Bean audio, some audio from the receiver room. We'll get to those throughout the rest of the show. Kevin Flaherty also is going to join us at 440 here from 24-7 Sports. And we have another KU football superlative segment coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, or the KLWN app. And don't forget, you can check out any, anything on the Best of RCST podcast, wherever you get any of your podcasts in at KUSports.com. One hour down, two to go. Welcome back in, 4 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, KLWN, with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to have some Jason Bean audio, receiver audio, coming up later in the show. Kevin Flaherty is going to join us later this hour, and we still got to get to our KU football superlative segment. Uh, real quick, the a uh, little more news from the Chiefs. They made a waiver claim out of Darius Rush, who was a fifth-round pick in this year's draft, and he was someone who has insane like testing scores in terms of his like speed and everything, hmm. which is just the most like Steve Spagnolo corner ever. Um, so that'll be great because yeah. he'll probably have everything working. I mean, he's done so well with toolsy corners that are late round picks. So that's yep. probably a good pickup for, for the Chiefs there. Yeah. Okay. We have to get to our KU mailbag for the week. Thank you to everybody for submitting questions. If we don't get to your question, we apologize, but we'll uh, try to get to it at least by next week at that point in time. You can submit questions anytime during the week at RCST1320 on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can also shoot us an email with any questions. RCST1320am at gmail.com. That's RCST1320am at gmail.com. Right, the first question here is from Christian. What would you consider progress in terms of KU football uh, this season? Do you think this is the best KU basketball team of all time? So, uh, obviously, very different questions there. Let's start with the first Wait. one. Oh, okay. Those are two separate questions. I would assume. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was confused for a second. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, the first one. Uh, what would you consider progress in terms of KU football this season? Mm, uh, Clear-cut progress to me is either going 6-6 six and six and winning your bowl game or winning more than six games. That's, that's like clear-cut progress yeah point to it 
Now, you can get into semantics of... So basically, you're saying seven wins. Yeah. You can get into semantics yeah. of maybe if you go five and seven, but you're a really competitive team and you play some close games and, you know... What if you go but, five uh, and seven, but make a bowl game off the ARP or IR, no, whatever, whatever it is, consider. and you win the bowl game? Would I'm that not, be, no, would that be even, improvement? I won't consider that Why? unless it's even remote. I don't think it's possible. Okay. Uh, but anyways, because I think if you go five and seven... And so, like, let's say you have that scenario. If you go five and seven, or even four and eight, and it's like you look good and you're competitive in a lot of games, you know, you just had some bad bounces one way or the other. I think at that point, the argument would be that you didn't you didn't progress from last season, but you at least maintained. Sure. Right. Which, like, at this point for KU football, just maintaining is like that is a you can almost say that that yeah. is progress. I mean, yeah, because you consider where they've been. That's always been the issue. Is you might they might have had a year or two where they showed a little bit of life and then straight back down. Right, so just maintaining, I guess, uh, would be would be almost considered progress. But I do think if you want to say substantially, KU football made progress off of last season, six and six with another bowl game, where you know even if they lose the bowl game this year, I would probably almost sit here and say that that would maybe be progress if they make it back again, but they lose another bowl game. Six and six with the bowl game, or if you get to seven, if you're seven and five, it's automatic progress. I've always maintained that bowl game wins at this point are not super important to me, to be quite honest with you. I mean, it's more making it. Yes. I think within the next three years, KU needs to win one bowl game. But if they go six and seven again and they lose their bowl game and it's a close game and, you know, like the Arkansas game was last year, I'm going to be very satisfied, me personally. So uh, bowl wins to me are not. Obviously, I want to win, but if they don't win their bowl game, I'm not going to sit here and be like, "Well, that's you know, um, now I'm going to be sour about it." No, that's no, that's that's not how I'm going to view it. As long as they win one bowl game in the next three years, right. so they can win one this year, or next year, or whatever, that's fine with me. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I, I think just in general, get to those seven wins, whether that does come off the bowl win or or off the regular season. Um, but I I do I, I do kind of agree. There is something to the idea of sustaining because yes. if you can sustain just being a bowl level team, that is progress. Because you know it's it's one thing to be a team that goes two and three, then three and nine, and then you go six and six, and all your seniors graduate, and then the next year you're back to two and ten. If you can sustain being six and six, that is a big improvement from where this team is. So yeah, even if they do go six and six and then lose the bowl game, I agree that is progress. I think that's progress as yes. overall as a program for KU football. And again, you could. It's it'll be tough. You could maybe make that argument even if they are five and seven or four and eight. It'll be tougher. Yeah. So I, I think in order to like I said, in order to say without a doubt, you made progress. Six and six, go to another bowl game. Yeah. Now I I don't think if they went five and seven, I would view that like I, I know this wasn't the exactly. Question. You wouldn't view, I wouldn't it, view as, it as you wouldn't view it negatively, progress, right? Yeah, you wouldn't view it exactly. It, it would be yeah. more in line with like, well, you you sustained, mm-hmm. right? You maintained, which again. Like we just like we just outlined, you could almost call that progress potentially. Yes, based off of the last you know decade. Um, if they get to seven wins or eight wins in the regular season, though, this won't just be progress. It'll feel like you are yes. because think about the class that's going to be coming in twenty twenty four. If you win seven or eight games you're and then you probably, have the class coming in, yeah, you're, you're going to feel like you're rocket shipping up. Yes, and then Texas probably, know you were gone after the year because you're going to be keeping all those recruits. Then at that point, right. And, uh, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. Okay, the other part of this question, this was a basketball one for the second part. Do you think this is the best KU basketball team of all time? Dude, there's been a lot of KU basketball teams. <laughs> yes, there has. <laughs> a lot of very good KU basketball teams. I'm just going to easily say no to this. 
Yeah, I think the answer right now has to be no. Uh, I guess if they go, you know, 40-0 and win the national title, we can circle back. <laughs> yes, if they do that, I will <laughs> gladly say that is the case. We, we, we can circle back. but So let's let's look at it this way. Since we both think it's no right now, yeah. what would they need to do in order to be that? Probably they would have to go either— First you have to win the national championship. Yes, and, and on top of that, you probably have to go either undefeated in conference play, right, or maybe 17-1 in conference play, and then, yeah, win the national championship. Like, here's the thing— um, which, by the like, okay, the the 2008 Kansas team, I don't know if it's the greatest Kansas team of all time. Uh, you know, people will throw out, I mean, if you want to throw out like a Wilt Chamberlain here, they didn't win the title, but obviously Wilt is just a freak of nature, so that's fine. Yeah. Uh, if you want to throw out, you know, maybe the, honestly, you probably have a better case for the, uh, the 1986 team than the 1988 team if you're looking at overall body of work, even though that one didn't win the title. Probably a better team overall. At least 88 had to deal with some injuries. Um, you get into the 90s, and you know a lot of people will say that the uh, the 96-97 squad is the best KU basketball team they've ever seen. I'm very open to that conversation. They were number one or number two in the AP poll every week. They lost one regular season game, and and then they just kind of ran into a, a weird thing to happen in the NCAA tournament. Um, obviously, you look at you know probably that 0102 Kansas team or uh, with, with Roy Williams, and and you have all those guys. Uh, 0708 has to go up there. And then you look at the 9-10 and the 10-11 teams were really excellent. Um, gosh, 15-16 was really good. 16-17 was really good. But I don't think those ones were, were to the same level of some of those other ones I mentioned. And then uh, you, you go and you look at the uh, the 1920 team that had the uh, COVID year tournament cancellation. If that team would have won it all, you know, we're, we're talking about that team in, in a whole nother light, obviously. And then the, the title team from a couple years ago. Um, but that 08 team, man, you look at Ken Palm. They were number two in the country in adjusted offense, and they were number one in the country in adjusted defense. <laughs> you can't get much better than that. So do I think this team will be not only the number one team in the country, but have a top two offense and defense? No, I don't. It's going to be hard to beat that. It's going to be hard to beat the 96-97 team. It's going to be hard to beat the 0102 team. I mean, the 0102 team had, had Nick Collison, Drew Gooden. Those are two... Uh, decade NBA veterans in the front court who are both All-American and like quasi national player of the years in the front court with Kirk Heinrich in the backcourt, one of your greatest shooters of all time with Jeff Boshi in the backcourt. And you have at that point, what, like freshman versions of of uh, some of these really good players too. So like, I don't know, man. Um, it, it's hard when they haven't even played a game. Yeah. But like, it's easy for me to be like, this won't even be a top five Bill Self team. You know what I mean? Because there are so many other good ones. So I, yeah. I think it's going to be a really good basketball team. I'm not trying to put a damper on this question, but there are so many good KU basketball teams. The odds are that it's not even going to be a top ten KU basketball team ever. If you go eight, if you go undefeated in conference play or 17 one in conference play, yeah, and then make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, we can maybe circle back. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you have to do one of those two things. You have to be either so dominant in the regular season that you're only losing like two or three games yeah. overall, and or you need a national championship long tournament run or something yep. like that. Yep. Because like, like think about it. the 21-22 the team that won the national championship, they're not even in that conversation of greatest KU basketball team of all time yeah. in that top exactly. five or maybe yeah, even top ten. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're they not even the cracking national the, championship tournament run. Yeah, but they're they not even have cracking the, the top, yeah. top so five. So it's, it's hard to be in there. Uh, this one from Adam. Does KU basketball go undefeated at home this year? Well, uh, based off of the schedule, so you you play UConn mm -hmm. at home. It's a tough that's, one. That's one you'll circle, obviously. Uh, and then you go into conference play. You get Texas at home, right? 
Yeah, I think so. so. Texas yeah. at home. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones you get at home off the top of my head. I didn't have the schedule pulled up in front of me. Uh, Texas at home. Let's see. You play. You play TCU at home. I don't. I don't remember who's at home and who's on the road because it's not on the actual schedule yet. So I can't just like easy easily yeah. pull it up because we don't have the dates of everything. Yeah. Um. I. I but think I mean, in the, general, so in the non-con, it's UConn, right? Yeah. Yeah. In, in general. Usually they will lose either zero or one home games. There are certain years where maybe they lose like two. I don't know. If you send me to all the games, they might lose like five. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah, you haven't had the greatest success there. Uh, did they lose any at home last year? Yeah, dude. They got blasted Kentucky, by TCU. right? Wait, no. That was 2022. Yeah, that's right. They got blasted by TCU. They got blasted by I TCU. I would say, I, I think I the think betting man... Their, didn't they lose another home game besides TCU? Or no, just TCU. I think it was just TCU. Okay. Because I guess they, they, they blasted Baylor. Sometimes my mind is like only remembers the first half of Baylor. And it's like, oh, Baylor killed us at home. But then it's like, wait, no, the second half happened. Yeah, TCW. they ended up beating him, right? Yeah, they beat him by like 20. Yeah. Um, yeah, TCU at home, every other loss was on the road or neutral. So, yes. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like typically it's one. So, There's yeah, one it's, every a, year. it's a safe bet that they might go undefeated yeah. or lose one. Yeah. So, zero or one is the, is the guess. I, I think the betting man would say you just chalk up one. Yeah. So, I mean, you could lose to UConn. No. You could lose probably, you're probably. You might drop one conference game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This one from Derek. Not me. Not you. What is Johnny Furphy's path to playing time? McCuller backup, small ball four, three. Guards look set with one. Rio, El Marco, Nick. Forward slash center could be Hunter, KJ, Parker, and Kevin. Um, we'll take all the three-point shooting KU can get. Which, Dude, to be clear, this, I don't know if Johnny Furphy is like a great three-point shooter. Yeah, I don't know either. I think he's, this, he's good at it, but I don't know if he's great at it. might be keeping Bill Self up at night right now because, honestly, I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, you know, it's it's the same issue we had when we were discussing with, like, the – when we when Marcus Adams was on the team, or when you know even like Chris Johnson was going to be coming in, the question was, where do those guys slot in? How many minutes are going to be available? Because you're right, Dewan Harris is going to play 35 minutes a game, probably. Uh, then you go to your then you go to your two guard, where you have Nick Timberlake, you have Arterio Morris, and you have a Marco Jackson. Now you can play one of those guys at the three, but Kevin McCullough is probably going to be playing a lot of minutes at the three. Then you go to the four, KJ Adams is probably going to be playing a lot of minutes there. You got Hunter Dickinson, so it's. I think the path to Furphy getting into the lineup, honestly, would be if they if KU ever wants to go with a lineup that looks like this. KJ at the five, Kevin McCuller at the four, Furphy at the three. Or I guess for, maybe Furphy could play the four, I don't know. KJ Adams at the five, Furphy plus McCuller on the floor with Dewan and then put one of the guards out there. That would probably be the lineup, I think, where they, he would have the best chance to, to realistically see playing time. You know, I mean, I just, I don't know... I don't know that he's just going to be. It's going to be a one for one. He'll just be playing all the minutes that Kevin McCullough is not on the floor. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that. I don't think that's how that's going to work. No, I don't either. There's not a lot of minutes to go around. So he's listed at six eight two zero two on the KU basketball roster. I don't know. By the way, two four seven sports listed him at six seven one eighty. Yeah, but it's it's possible it goes up because he was also kind of under recruited to a certain point. So maybe they don't have accurate measurements on him. And I was thinking about. It, I was like, are they really going to play a guy who's two hundred two pounds at the four? I was like, probably not. Then I started thinking about it more, and I was like, wait, what, what was Svee? Svee was listed by the KU roster at 6'8", which I, I don't think that was accurate. I think he was closer <laughs> to – I think the NBA measurements, he was like 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, but he had like a 6'5 wingspan. Uh, so, really, you're playing lower than that. He was only listed at 205, though, and he was playing at the 4. Yeah. So, I actually think Johnny Furphy could play the 4. I see his role as being a 3-4. I think, realistically, but, uh, his position is more of a 2-3, but all the minutes are going to be eaten up by Dewan, El Marco, Arterio, and Nick at the 1-2. Yes. So you're looking at him playing the three or the four. 
Yes. And um, I think it's going to have to be with, like I said, I think I think the lineup that makes the most sense to me that he would play is KJ at the five with Kevin and Furphy. Well, I don't even know if it's KJ at the five. I think it's just when Kevin is in at the four. That could True. be with KJ at the five or it could be with Dickinson at the five. Like what if KJ's on the bench guess, and Kevin's yeah, playing the four? You, you can throw out. I think it's you just can throw in general. Kevin's at the four. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Because again, like I said, I don't think it's going to be like, oh, Kevin's out. Here comes Furphy to play one. I don't. I don't think it's a one for one of him no. playing those minutes. And, and again, like you said with Timberlake, Timberlake could play backup minutes for Kevin. Yes. So I don't exactly. know how many minutes there are to be, to begin with. I uh, was doing a, a mock sketch of this, and I had like Kevin playing thirty two minutes a game, KJ at twenty eight. Um, I was only able to get Furphy eight minutes a game. It's hard. It's hard to find those minutes there. Which honestly, eight minutes a game that that's probably about right. Yeah, it might be 8 to 10. I forget who we had on. One of our guests last week said they had him at 15. Mm. But that becomes hard because you start eating away minutes at El Marco and Nick Timberlake very quickly if you're going to give a bunch of minutes to Johnny Furphy. Um, because you're you're going to have to play Furphy at the 3 and 4. That could eat into minutes to Timberlake the 3. Maybe Timberlake has to play more minutes at the 2. Or maybe he just plays less minutes overall. I do think the Nick Timberlake stock, maybe it's going down a little bit. and Maybe he is going to be closer to 15 to 20 minutes per game than the 25 minutes. And maybe that does open up a few extra minutes for Johnny Furphy. But like with, with KJ, there was a game where he played like 30-something minutes in one of the, the, the games against the Bahamian national team. So... Yeah. I think KJ is going to be in the high 20s. Like, I don't expect his numbers to dip into the mid to low 20s. It's just going to be tough. It's going to be tough to find the minutes. And as much as I think Johnny Furphy can be an impactful player, all the comments we've heard so far about him being that are more so in regards to um, before he's arrived on campus. So those comments are not necessarily indicative of what they've seen in practice every day. So I'm going to be on the lighter end and have him about eight, but wouldn't be surprised if it's 10 to 12. Uh, last one from Tyler here. How would you approach prop bets for the first KU football game? These are not officially Ooh, out yet. They'll be yeah. out, I'd imagine, on Friday morning. So the big issue you're going to run into on the offensive side of the ball is if KU gets up big, you know, let's say you want to bet on Jalen Daniels over passing yards, but then he ends up not playing the whole fourth quarter or, you know, get took in the third quarter. So you're going to run into that issue with Jalen Daniels, Devin Neal, and maybe even some of the receivers. So uh, I would I would approach that with caution, to be honest, uh, yeah. on that side of things. I agree. Uh, you know, maybe you, a guy that I would be interested in to see what his number is is a Daniel Highshaw, because mm-hmm. he we don't know exactly how much he's going to play per se, but you know if Devin Neal if they you know are like you know what Devin you're good in the third quarter, maybe it's Daniel Highshaw who gets some more carries. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with Devin Neal though is last year. Only four, he had four carries, carries. He 108 yards. yards. But okay? that was counting so he's on one over, yard run. Exactly. But his over certainly hit, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't 108. So, you know, maybe you don't need Devin Neal to carry the ball a bunch to, to him to get his Yeah. If, if, if like, Devin's in the 50 range and they're taking into account that he might not play a ton because it's I an FCS game, I would take the over. Yeah, I would but if it's, like, 70, I'm not touching it. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, then, then you get into worry you need a long play. Same deal with Jalen. Like, right? if Jalen's passing yeah. total is more than, like, 200, I'm probably Risky. not. Yeah. Because sure. it just does, you just don't know how long he's going to be in the game. The, the props that I would be more interested in are, like, touchdown props. Okay. Yeah. And the yardage ones. Like if it's if it's Jalen over under two and a half passing touchdowns or something, like I'd I'd be probably comfortable taking the over on that. Yeah. Or like, you know, Devin Neal to score a rushing touchdown or Jalen Daniels to have a rushing touchdown. I don't know, maybe not the Jalen one, with some of the comments we heard, it sounds like they're gonna try to avoid him getting hit. So maybe I, I wouldn't yeah. take Jalen Daniels rushing touchdowns. Okay. But like Devin Neal rushing touchdown, Daniel yep. Highshaw rushing touchdown. Yep. Like those could be some interesting props. Savion Morrison rushing touchdown. 
Mm. I mean, this would be the game to do it. Which, I mean, honestly, I just, that's not a bad bet. It's really not because if if that's going to be plus odds, which I'd imagine it would be, oh, it would probably plus three, four hundred something. I would think so. This would yeah. be the game to do it. So that yeah. might not be the worst idea in the world to dip into some of the backup running backs, take a touchdown prop there. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, that is our KU mailbag for the day. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show later this hour. We got some KU football audio coming up next with QB2 Jason Bean. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN, KLWN.com, or the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson, and joining us now on the phone is one Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at KFlaherty247. Uh, so, Kevin, KU takes on Missouri State on Friday, and I don't know, probably a little bit harder to get preview information on an FCS team like the Bears than, you know, some some FC, or, or FCS teams uh, th- than some of the FBS teams necessarily, so... I don't know when you when you think of Missouri State. I don't know how deep your knowledge goes on the Bears, but uh, what kind of sticks out to you about this matchup overall between the Jayhawks and, and Missouri State? Yeah, I mean, the, my knowledge base honestly is it isn't that high. I'll, I'll always tell you guys the uh, the truth, whether it's uh, whether it sounds great or not. Uh, I think the the main thing is you know I know some of the local kids that are there and. And things like that, guys that uh, followed along their recruiting and, and what they did in high school. I think, just generally speaking, though, on the matchup, it, it's one of those things where Kansas has had so many years where you couldn't take a game for granted, right? Even if it was an FCS opponent, even if it was a program where maybe the FCS opponent wasn't a good FCS opponent. You couldn't really take them for granted. And I think the one thing that you really want to see is is Kansas come out with a level of focus and really execute it and sort of put this game away to a point that, uh, that they can rest some guys and, and get ready for Illinois the following week. Yeah, is there... I guess is there any worry left at this point with FCS games because we in over the past decade and a half you go into the FCS game and it was like just don't lose but also we understand that uh, there are a lot of times where they have lost have we, have we gotten past that with the Lance Leipold era was was last year was that enough to be like you just expect them to win and move on or should there be any fear in the uh, the the hearts of KU fans about some of the past shortcomings in some of these games. I don't know that fear is the right word, but I do think that it's good to have a healthy amount of respect and to look at it and say, you know, hey, this is this is a game that can get uncomfortable if you don't come out and execute. And the thing that we saw with Kansas last year was that when Kansas was at its best, when they when it played clean football and, you know, they weren't committing penalties, they weren't making mistakes. They were a pretty good team, but you also saw the same team in some of those same games, you know, maybe not execute with that level of cleanliness and polish. You look at at the TCU game, you're playing a, a team that winds up going to the national title game, and Kansas, you know, arguably should have won that game. I mean, you have the turnover by the goal line, you have, you know, the final drive, there were some mistakes and things like that, and I'm not saying that to disparage anybody, I'm just saying that Kansas last year 
was a very good team when it executed and focused. And it was not a very good team when they didn't execute it and play with a level of focus. And I think that that's where you, you really want to treat Missouri State like it's a Big 12 opponent, like you need to come in and have your timing down and get your polish down and not make mistakes. Do the, do the fundamental things right. And if you can do that, that's what is going to potentially lead this Kansas team beyond expectations. Because I think a lot of people look at that number, you know, we've talked about it. It's set at six. You know, I, I think a lot of people have them right above that, say at like seven and five. Although to be fair, I think I saw maybe a few weeks ago that Kansas was the most bet under of any power five team. And, and so does Kansas go five and seven? Does Kansas go seven and five or even better? Because this is a team that's capable of winning more than seven games this year. That depends on the way that they address the tasks at hand. And I think that's where this game comes in from an important standpoint. It's not necessarily that you go in and you fear Missouri State, but you sure as heck should respect them as an opponent and respect them as an opportunity to get better and an opportunity to work on your execution because there aren't a whole lot of those chances with a really tough schedule. So uh, have you narrowed it down? Have you come together with a final win-loss prediction for KU football this season? You know, it's it's tough because I have them at 7-5, and five, Derek, but my thing is that I have them at 7-5, and five, but there are some things that I think could happen where Kansas would be above that, and... One of those, I don't know if you listen to uh, listen to my podcast with fellow friend of the show and Fog.net guy, Michael Swain. I'm predicting Kansas to knock off Kansas State this year. You know, I think that when you look at last year's game, there wasn't a separation, I think, that you see, you've seen for a lot of the past, you know, 15 or so years, you know, where you went in. And even if it was a close game, even if it was a game that was separated by a touchdown, you looked at it and you said, okay, well, that's because K-State didn't play well, right? It wasn't because Kansas was closing the gap. And I didn't see a big gap between the two teams. I saw Kansas make some mistakes and some special teams mistakes in particular that kind of kept that thing, you know, at arm's length a little bit. But even so, even with those mistakes, you're talking about a two-touchdown game in the fourth quarter. And with that game returning to Lawrence, with Kansas, I think, having a better team this year, because I think they will have a better team this year, with Kansas State being even potentially just slightly worse than they were a year ago, I think they're going to win that game. And so when you look at that specifically, I realize this is a really long answer to a short question. But when you look at that game Specifically, if Kansas beats Kansas State, they're probably not seven and five, are they? No. Uh, I think at that point, maybe you're looking at them at eight and four or, or even better. And so that's that's where I'm struggling. So I, I I say seven and five, but I do think they pull off that upset, which I guess would uh, would leave them closer to eight and four if they wind up being healthy this whole thing. Yeah, it feels like though, regardless if they do get to seven and five, I. I, I think they have to beat one of the big three with Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas State. I guess they don't have to, but, like, it makes it so much easier. Because I, I actually, we were going through our predictions earlier today. I picked them to beat Oklahoma, but I didn't have them beating Kansas sure. State. And so I think 
you can exchange one of the other because I also had them at seven and five. But I think another way to view it, and if I if I package it this way at you, it, it sounds so much easier than it actually will be when you when you look at the schedule each and every week and you're like, ah, but that's a coin flip game and that's a coin flip game and that's a coin flip game. So each of the last two years, Lance Leipold has won one Big 12 road game. Technically, they won two last year, right, because of Houston, but um, basically just one in conference. So if you just say they're going to go one and four in conference play on the road, then if you can beat Missouri State and Nevada, that gets you to three wins, and then you have six other games at home between the Illinois game and five other conference games at that point in time. I think my math actually might be wrong there. Uh, whatever it is. Um, seven total home games and uh, obviously one of them being Illinois and then six, uh, I don't know, the, the Missouri State, which I already counted, and, and the Big 12. So, yeah. So, uh, among those six other home games, at that point, if you go four and two, that gets you to seven and five. So, it sounds a lot easier than if I, I just package it week to week, but... When you are going through it week to week, it becomes, I think, more difficult because you start going, oh, but they could lose that game. They could lose that game. And I think that's probably the biggest challenge for me as you go through the schedule this year. It's that each and every game you could convince yourself they're going to win. Each and every game you could convince yourself they're going to lose. So, I mean, to that notion, is there a game or two when you're looking at the schedule, maybe it is back to Kansas State, that is most difficult for you that you have flip-flopped the most between whether you think Kansas is going to win or lose? Not necessarily flip-flopped a bunch, but I think the BYU game is one of those games that I think my opinion could tr- could change dramatically based on the outcome of the Illinois game. And we, we've talked about it on, on the show quite a bit. You know, the, obviously at this point, everybody's undefeated. Everybody's quarterback looks the best ever. Everybody's defense figured out whatever was wrong last year. Mm-hmm. And everybody is destined for great seasons. But the buzz on, on BYU has been really positive and, and really positive surrounding Keaton Slovis and, you know, some of the changes that they've made to be more aggressive defensively and things like that. And BYU is a very physical team. And, and so if Kansas goes into that Illinois game and they don't necessarily have to win it, but if they don't get pushed around and, you know, even if they lose that game, but it's like, hey, they, they held their own physically. I think you look at that BYU game and you say, okay, I, I feel really good about Kansas' chances in this game. If Kansas comes out of that Illinois game and the run defense still isn't there, Illinois you know, runs the ball 45 times for 300 yards or, or whatever, then I think you're looking at that BYU game in a, in a different light because you're looking at, hey, this is a game where – Slovis isn't going to necessarily have to beat Kansas. Maybe BYU is able to run, line up and run the ball. And so there's not necessarily a, a game that I look at that I, you know, one day I wake up and like and the next I don't. But I do think my opinion on that BYU game and its difficulty does depend on sort of what Kansas shows in that Illinois game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I actually, I, that's a game that I don't know how it's going to go with the whole Brett Bielema wants to just run it down your throat and everything. Um, as far as conference-wide, if you take everybody into account, what is the ceiling of what you think Kansas could finish in the Big 12? Is there any world you could see them making it to Arlington? And what is the floor of where you think they could finish? It would be so tough to go to Arlington just because the schedule is so brutal. I mean, I, I think if we're sitting here today – and saying, hey, who who are the best teams in the Big 12 as of today, you know, as you would predict them? I think you'd probably say Texas, 
Kansas State. I think most people would say they expect a big bounce back here from Oklahoma and Oklahoma to be in that mix. And I think you'd pick Texas Tech. And Kansas plays all four. And Kansas doesn't play West Virginia, you know, at the bottom of the conference. And so when you when you look at that, I think it's going to be really tough to cut through all of that and get to Arlington. That doesn't mean that they can't, but I think it's incredibly difficult road for for them to do, especially when some of those games kind of stack on top of each other where you could also see a little bit of a fatigue element in there. I do think, though, that there's a scenario, Derek, where, where maybe Kansas is in sort of that, uh, I don't just want to say top half, but maybe even top five of the conference where, hey, maybe you uh, maybe you beat K-State, maybe you, you fare, you know, do well enough to be eight and four-ish or, or whatever else, and and that's a team that's that's right around the top five in the conference, and so I think that that's a, a, not necessarily a reasonable expectation, but I think it's a reasonable look at hey, if things go right, this is what's possible. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, now, as we're looking at the start of the season here and some of the differences that are going to happen with some of the rule changes, and I don't know the the, the level of of amount of plays that you're going to get in a game didn't seem like a huge difference last week, but a few plays down from from where it was the week before. It's interesting because you can convince me either way on this. KU clearly showed they had a really good offense last year. Um, at the same point in time, still with some of the questions on defense, I can see the other side of this with being more ball control. What, what do you think makes more sense for the KU offense to be this year? Is it a fast-paced offense, or is it a ball control offense that really tries to possess the ball and slow down games and, and keep the opposition off the field? Yeah, I think for the most part, you, you wind up going ball control still. Uh, I think that's that's kind of where they fit in. It's not that they can't use tempo at times. I think that that club is in their bag, so to speak, but I don't think that that's, that's where they're at their best. And my understanding is, and, and maybe, uh, maybe I could be wrong on this, but one of the games that was kind of singled out to me by a different coach, when he said, Hey, this probably would not happen um, with the new rules, they didn't feel like Kansas would have been able to come back against Arkansas in, in that bowl game uh, with the new clock rules, just basically that it would make it really prohibitive and, and time prohibitive to do something like that. So I, I still think you, you limit possessions and, and all of those things. I think that, that Kansas has the offense to do that. I think you want to give your defense a, a little bit more time to rest and and different things like that. The big, the other big thing I think, Derek, is how many times last year did we see Kansas kind of put itself behind the eight ball? And on one hand, you know, you you feel good about the confidence that they showed to to come back in some of those games and erase some double digit deficits and all of those things, but. With the clock stuff specifically, I think it's really imperative that Kansas, you know, stop spotting teams 14 points to, to start off games just because you're you're never entirely sure, hey, how much time is there going to be left to try and erase something like this later on. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. All right, I got an either-or question for you. Uh, more KU football conference wins, so Big 12 wins in 2023, or trophies accumulated by KU men's basketball this next season. So they would have chances in the Maui Invitational, Big 12 regular season, Big 12 postseason, 
uh, if you win the final, if you make a final four, win a national championship. So they would have up to five. KU football obviously would have a chance to get up to nine. Who has more? Ooh, gosh, uh, I think uh, I think they're probably about the same. Like I, I know you want me to pick it. Any, no, I think that's, or, that's but, yeah. If but, you hit that I, on the I'm, nail, that's even harder because you have to predict exact numbers. But yeah, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking. I'm thinking it, it'll be about the same because I'm thinking that. Kansas will maybe get, say, four of those five trophies in basketball and kind of sit around four conference wins. Maybe, you know, maybe there's another one in there, but but that's kind of where I see them is right around that four mark, and so I think they could be the same. Okay, and uh, before we let you go, do you have a local prospect of the week? You put out a really good thread, by the way, on Twitter kind of detailing uh, some of the stuff that we've actually been talking about here on the show. Yeah, sure. I, the guy that uh, I'm picking this week is actually somebody I think a lot of Kansas fans are, are familiar with, but maybe not recently, and that's B.J. Kennedy over at Topeka. You know, he was a guy that for a lot of the early part of the cycle was the number one kid in the state. And, you know, last year, unfortunately, had some injuries. Derek, he broke the navicular bone in both of his feet. <laughs> and so I don't even know what that when, bone is. When, and so when you break bones in both feet, you're probably not going to look the best. And he returned to the field, but it wasn't B.J. Kennedy. And so I think a lot of people are kind of wait and see mode. He had a ton of major offers and everything before the injuries, but it's been a really long time since we've seen B.J. Kennedy healthy and, and you know, taking on blocks and doing the things that uh, that made him sort of a special prospect. I don't know if you watch softball at all. His sister was the Nigeri Kennedy, who was such an effective pitcher for Stanford in the in the Women's College World Series and softball. And so he, he comes by it naturally. He's got a lot of athletic gifts. Uh, visited Kansas multiple times last fall. I, I think he was there for the opener. I think he might have been there for the Duke game, and he was there when College Game Day was in town as well. But he's a guy that a lot of staffs are, are waiting to see, right? They want to see how he comes back from those injuries. Obviously, foot injuries with big men are, are kind of scary deals. And if he puts together a strong senior season, it'll be really interesting to see which schools kind of hop back in and, and try to take a stab at a guy that was a four-star prospect before he got hurt. The reason I, I brought him up, because I know we usually like to keep these things you know, fairly current um I, i'm going to see bj against in topeka against mays on friday so i'll be uh, i'll be heading down and, and really hoping that uh, the bj's healthy and and get to see the the old bj out there a little bit and i think uh if he's able to be that same kind of dominant player and, and have the ceiling as a prospect that he had before it would be very interesting to see what ku would think in terms of hey do we wind up taking another defensive lineman in this class or, or is Kansas generally filled up at this point? He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work at 24-7 Sports with CBS Sports and at KFlaherty247 on Twitter. Kevin, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, have a good rest of your week. we got football back. All right. Thanks a lot, Derek. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. We got KU football superlatives. We got some more KU football audio coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. This is RCST and KLWN. Depend on it.
Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN, KLWN.com, or the KLWN app. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to have some more KU football player audio for you from the receiver room. And, of course, uh, don't forget you can check out anything you miss ever on the Best of RCST podcast, wherever you get any of your podcasts. Uh, we are officially one day away from um, being another day away. I keep thinking it's Thursday. This is so annoying. Today yeah. is Wednesday. Yeah. We're two days away from being out live at Big Mill uh, before the first KU football game of the season. Yeah, you've been, dude, you've been screwing me up all day because you keep going like, <laughs> oh, it's Thursday today, it's Thursday. And I'm like, bro. Now, now I'm thinking it's Thursday, and I was having a perfectly fine Wednesday, and now you've just you've just been ruining. It. I think I'm just so excited for football season to be back. You just and for the to, first K football yeah, game. You just I'm willing be, it into existence. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. I mean, it, it's we're definitely to the stage where it's like, dude, seriously, just yeah. get, just get us there. Well, you know, just think too. Now we go back to the idea that remember KU originally was going to play this game on Thursday. Oh, that's true but too. Illinois was yeah. like, no, we want you to play on Fridays. Blah blah blah. <laughs> so they moved it to Friday. Or who knows why they actually did it? That's my assumption. Um, they, we would be a day away right now. True, that's that a good was point. the case. So we, we've actually been robbed. We have been we've robbed. Been robbed an extra twenty four hours. Yeah. Screw you, Brett Bielema. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, uh, two days. We'll be before the big game at Big Mill on Ninth of Mississippi. We're going to be giving away KU football tickets, NASCAR Speedway tickets. Come on out. It'll be a, a good time before the game. And yep. uh, stop by Big Mill. Uh, yep. By the way, college football fans, are you ready for week one? Why would you not be? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with can't-miss offers to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's a lot of free moolah for a lot of the games going on this weekend. So you can bet on some of the futures. You can use some of that free money to wait for the NFL season to arrive or you can take some of your favorite bets. They still haven't put out the official line for the KU game. I think they're going to do that the morning of on Friday morning. But uh, how about getting in on some of the action that is going to be happening on Thursday night? You can you can do the UCF game. UCF's minus 36.5 if you want to scout out one of uh, KU's future opponents this year. Uh, NC State's at UConn, minus 14.5. Florida's getting 4.5 at Utah. Any of those games, whatever you want to do, again, Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code KLWN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 and older. Physically present in Kansas. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. All right, back to our uh, KU football superlative segment. We only have, uh, I don't know, six or seven slips left in here. Yeah, we're running out. It was by design, right? The design was to run out before we start the season. That's right. We're getting close. So we're going to do a couple more of these today with our KU football superlatives. And, uh, you know, I drew on the the top last time. I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to draw on the bottom. Yeah, there you go. There we go. Really get to the, yeah. (laughs) You're not going to like this one. Oh, we'll do what? Best special teams player. Dude. (laughs) Okay. So let's, let's, let's break this down. Here are the options. There were a lot of oars on the depth chart. Here are the options. You have on kick return and punt return. You have Kenny Logan. You have Trevor Wilson. Maybe even like Savion a Savion Morrison was even on, the, as Morrison an was on the kick on return. return. On kick return. You go to your specialists. You have Seth Keller. You have uh oh gosh, what's the name of the guy that does kickoffs? Uh Tabor Allen. Uh, Tabor Allen. Mm-hmm. You have Tabor Allen. So Seth Keller, Tabor Allen, and Damon Greaves mm-hmm. as well. 
You also have Owen P floating out. As you say, technically Owen P. Gertis is uh, the oar on the place. 250 pounds. Brayden Addison is an oar punter or punter. Also, Luke Hosford, a long snapper. I mean, he's he's snapping true, him, yeah. and he has to chase down the guy and make a tackle yeah. or try okay. to yeah. down the punt. So, so yeah, so you have those guys. Also, Great Addison is the holder. Set those guys aside. Obviously, then you have like your gunners or whatnot, which those aren't actually on the death chart, whatever. Yeah, we but, don't know who those are. But it sounds like it'll be a guy like maybe like a guy like Dylan McDuffie, maybe even someone like a Cornell Wheeler. Hmm. Maybe the, you know those guys are impactful special teams guys, either in punt punt coverage or kickoff coverage. So there's some there's some different options for sure. Uh, I think maybe for the sake of this argument, we should just narrow it down to depth chart specialists. Probably. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Because again, like you said, I I'm not going to know who. Yeah, the nobody. Are. Like, yeah, we don't know for sure who. I, I will say are. this: no, knowing um, what we heard about Keaton Kubeka this week, you'll probably see him a good amount on special teams. Uh, I think some of the backup linebackers like Cornell Wheeler, JB Brown, if yep. he's on special teams, if he's a big hitter, like I could see him making a big play. Uh, you know who the guy who I I would throw out there just because even though we don't know the depth chart, probably you could make an argument for just because based on we know what happened last year is uh, uh, Tory Lachlan. Tory oh, Lachlan yeah. was a gunner, and he recovered two fumbles for you a season ago as a gunner. And, yeah. and we know that the KU wants to get him on the field. He'll be a special teams player. He's a trusted player. Like, he's someone who, if you wanted to make an argument for, which I guess I kind of am right now, I'd be fine with it. <laughs> okay. But, Set that bigger aside. picture, yes. Yeah, so we'll go back to Seth Keller, Damon Greaves, Kenny Logan, Savion Morrison, Trevor Wilson, one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So, when you look at Seth Keller... Was there an or on the depth? I don't have the depth chart in front of me. Was there was an Seth or? Keller? Yeah, it was Seth Keller or Owen P. Bergertis. Yeah, so uh, I think we mentioned this when we talked about the depth chart earlier in the week about uh, you and I, I think we're in pretty pretty much lockstep on the idea of it was Seth Keller's job. It was going yes. to be Seth Keller's job. Seth Keller is the clear number one. So the or there, you can look at that two ways. Does that mean that Seth Keller has maybe not looked as good in At the end of camp. camp and, or yeah. has Owen P. just been that good? To where maybe he, you know, they felt he was deserving of of having that there. So I don't know. Read that as you will. Maybe that scares you off of, of Seth Keller a little bit. Uh, I think you and I both agree we'd like to see him get one field goal in the game against Missouri and the against Missouri State. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. I guess just to see how he looks, right? I mean, not you know, we don't we don't want to see him kick a hundred field goals, right? But just to see how he looks. One fifty yarder is what I said, and make it. <laughs> You know, I, where I would be even, I wouldn't even maybe be like satisfied. one thirty-five yarder, yeah. one fifty yarder. No, I would be satisfied with like a forty yarder. If okay. he like comfortably makes a forty yarder, like a forty-five yeah, sure. yarder, that's fine with me. Uh, so you know, I, I don't know. Maybe then you have Damon Greaves, a guy that we admittedly don't know a whole lot about as to what his style. I mean, we we know he's going to probably be an Australian style kicker. So the little the little hop, skip, and a jump, run, and kick off, punt, whatever. <laughs> uh, so we'll see with that. You know, then you go and you look at the returners. Kenny Logan has one kickoff return for touchdown in this career, I believe. Uh, so a couple other long ones. Yeah. So what's you know what's what's his impact going to be? Then you go to your punt return. Same deal there. Uh, you know what? I don't even know what to expect from Trevor Wilson because we touched on this a little bit. You know, Trevor Wilson was a guy that in his first year was more active in that area. And then he had the off the season stuff right before the right before the season started last year that really kind of set him back. And he never we never really got to see him much again the rest of the season in that role. But then here we are leading into week one of this season and he's back there on the death chart. So what does that tell you about what his what his capabilities might be? I, I don't know. I'm I'm tempted here because again, like I'm tempted here to go with maybe like a Trevor Wilson punt returner because 
that to me feels like the spot you have the most impact potentially. Besides, like I'm scared away from Seth Keller. I'll be honest. Okay. I don't want to pick Seth Keller, and I don't want to pick OMP either. Uh, the, that that position, the kicker position, is one of the most important. But I'm nervous about what that might be. No, I think that's fair. So I'm going to go with Trevor Wilson here because he has the chance to be have the most impact as a punt returner, and you know you want every yard you can get. Now, listen, me personally, people know my stance. I am an advocate of never returning anything when you have a great offense, which KU has a great offense. But uh, I'll go with Trevor Wilson here. Okay. No, I, 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 that's where I wanted to go. So I, I could give you the the different answer, and I guess I could say like Damon Greaves uh, because as much as I, mean, I want KU to is... be super aggressive going for it, I don't yeah. think they are. And the punting was a bit of an issue last year, and so for a defense that has questions and you're looking to be better this year, if you're able to having a good back. punter can help yes, a lot of ways, absolutely, right? Absolutely, 100%. So I, I will give that just to be different, but I, I do think the right answer is what you went with. Trevor Wilson having an impact in punt return, um, which will be interesting because a couple years ago, he had trouble just like catching passes and punts. Now, it's been two years since then. I think he had two punt returns or two kick returns or something last year. Um, so clearly they wanted to get him involved, and, and maybe he's improved a good amount in that way. Um, that's my biggest worry, though, him just catching them, going for the possession. I think what's the ball in his hands, uh, he, he's someone who can make a lot of guys miss and, and make some impactful plays. The fact that he's the or on kick return means that he'll be in on punt return and kick return, which means he's just he, he has his hands in two pots. So it just increases the chance that he's going to have a big impact for the team. So I agree with you. I'm going to go with... Uh, with, with Trevor Wilson there. But just to give a different answer, Damon Greaves, or back to what I said at first, I think Tory Lachlan will be somebody who makes uh, consistently big plays on special teams. All right, so we're running a bit light here, so I don't really have very many pieces of paper to, to shuffle around here, but I'm going to do my best. All right, let's see what we got here. Oops, I accidentally grabbed two. There we go. Best, this is interesting, actually. Best D lineman. Ooh, so defensive ends and defensive tackles. Obviously, KU yep. doesn't play like a 3-4 where we'd be talking about like this outside linebacker is kind of yep. like a defensive lineman. No, it's yep. just the, the four guys up front. Jeremy Robinson's the obvious one, right? You would think so. But uh, I'm I'm curious as to, you know, when you think the term best defensive lineman compared to everybody else, if Jeremy Robinson's your best defensive lineman because everybody else sucks, that's bad. <laughs> But if he's your best yeah. defensive lineman because he's actually good, that's different, right? So that's kind of an interesting thought to think of there. Yes. If 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 Jeremy Robinson breaks out, I think even if the other guys are good, it's going to be him. Yes. He'll definitely get the most attention. Yeah. Returning production, it's it's him to begin with. Yeah. Um, now, okay. There's I, some I other think, intriguing options, though. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways you could look at this. If you're looking at this from a returning production, it's Jeremy Robinson. If you're looking at this from a best potential to um, kind of, I don't know, break out in line of what so he's had in the past, it's still Jeremy Robinson. Are we saying best defensive lineman right now, today? Or are we I think so. Best I think it's best lineman, defensive like, lineman. To, at the end of the season. No, I think if you want to give answers to both, I think that's another way you can oh, okay. skin the cat so we're, here. We're talking right now. Yeah, okay. but but also you could look at this from a standpoint of who has the best floor and who has the best ceiling. Because if you're looking at this, who has the best floor on the defensive line, it might be Devin Phillips. Yeah, it's not Jeremy Robinson. I think no, it's I think Phillips. it's Devin Phillips. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Um, if you're looking at who has the best ceiling, it might be Jeremy Robinson. It might be one of those young defensive ta- tackles. It might it even be, be a guy like Austin Booker or yeah, Dylan Brooks. I was say, it could be Dylan Brooks or it could be Austin Booker. I, I agree with that. I think. Those dudes with the athleticism they possess and the length they possess, I think maybe one of those guys might have the higher ceiling, to be quite honest with you. Now, 
when it comes to like it, like Dylan Brooks specifically, mm-hmm. I don't think we'll see that this season. To me, no, I don't it think se- so he seems like more of a he'll have developmental a few flash guy. plays yeah. as a rotational guy. Yeah, he yeah. seems like more of a developmental player who maybe next year or the year after is like the guy you look to as your main pass rusher on big downs. So yeah, I mean, I think listen. Devin Phillips has been getting a ton of talk. I think you're right about saying he's probably got the best floor of any of the D linemen. But then, you know, I mean, listen, Gage Keys is 6'6". He's got a ton of length. There's been some talk about him, you know. with Added a lot of weight over the offseason. Obviously, you have Tommy Dunn and and DJ Withers, two guys we've highlighted quite a bit as young players who seem, seem poised to step into a much larger role this season. You have Jeremy Robinson. You have Hayden Hatcher, who is... Hayden Hatcher's kind of tough to quantify because, like, He's just kind of there. He's a stalwart player. Right. He's a stalwart player. Like you, you kind of know what you have, but he's probably not going to be a real flashy guy. Probably not going to make a real a lot of impact plays. But he's consistent in his play. You kind of know what you're going to get. But you know, so you know, does he really have a high floor? I don't know. Like I guess, but does he really? Does he have a high ceiling? No, not really. He's just kind of. I feel like he he's is somewhere more in the middle. Of the high floor player, but yes, I, I also it's not a high enough floor where we're sitting here today and being like, well, there's like. Like, the way I view floor almost to a point is, like, Devin Phillips, I just, outside of injury, expect to be a starter the rest of the season. Yes. Because the floor is that high. Whereas with, like, Hayden Hatcher, the floor still could be Austin Booker beats you out. You know what I mean? Or Patrick Joyner beats you out. Or one of these guys beats you out. I mean, it's already, yeah, yeah, 100% agree with that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think when when you simplify it down, you are looking at probably being, as the best defensive lineman, probably Jeremy Robinson. You can make a case for Devin Phillips. It's, I mean... The thing with Evan Phillips is obviously we haven't seen him play yet, right? I mean, right. we haven't seen him play at this level. Uh, so that's kind of the, the caveat there. Uh, the Kind of the same issue with Tommy Dunn and G.J. Withers. They're young guys. We expect them to be stepping up, but we haven't seen it yet, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd like to. I'd like to see it come to fruition that for a couple games before I'm ready to say, you know, hey, one of those guys. And then you've got, you know, a slew of other Power 5 transfers that, similarly to Devin Phillips, you just have questions about what their role is going to be, what their impact might be right away. So... You might have to just go with Jeremy Robinson right now. Yeah, I think Jeremy Robinson, it's it's him or Devin Phillips is the answer right now. Um, at the end of the season, you could convince me it is DJ Withers. Really? I, I talked about him really? being the breakout guy okay. yesterday. Like, what if... So you're really high on him. I am really high on DJ Withers. You could even convince me Tommy Dunn. But right now, I'm, I'm kind of more on the Withers than, than Dunn train. So at the end of the season, that's who you could convince me. Would you have a different answer by the end of the season? Yeah, by the end of the season, I might be looking at Devin Phillips and saying, "Well, there it is. If he's, you know, if he's a bona fide starter, game in, game out, and is disruptive, you know, I think the thing with Devin Phillips is you'll probably run into a problem of you'll look at his stats and be like, well, his stats maybe aren't that great compared to a Jimmy Robinson or compared to a, even somebody on the outside, but mm-hmm. it's if he's the guy that's always popping on film, clogging run lanes, and, and making tackles, I think he could be the pick. I I think the way that I view it is. You would go with Devin Phillips in this scenario if there's no clear-cut pass rusher who is like racked up a decent amount of sacks. Right? Yeah, like if Jamie Robinson ends up getting five or six sacks on the year, I think by default you probably end up picking him. Sure, you know, or if you know, or if Austin Booker comes through with a big season and gets you know some sacks. But I think if it's more of a situation where it's by committee, where maybe. Jim Robinson's got two. Hayden Hatcher's got one or two. Dustin Booker's got two. You know, maybe Devin Phillips has one or two. You know, if it's like that, I think you look at Devin Phillips then at that point. Yeah. I think I am going to settle on Phillips for the answer. Just overall. Just in general. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's our KU Football Superlatives for the day. We'll uh, have a couple more for you 
on tomorrow's show. Coming up on the other side, we got some more KU football audio. Doug Emelian, Luke Grimm from the receiver room caught up with us at KU Football Media Day. We'll get to that coming up next. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, and the KLWN app. Depend on it.